we're going to do exactly that which we just sang of and that which we've been speaking of in these last few weeks. We're going to spend some time in prayer. We're going to spend time in prayer as a church family. Elementary kids, it's good to have you in on the fifth Sunday to have worship time. You'll be dismissed in a little bit. As we're together as church families, I want us to pray one for another for needs that are represented across this room. Maybe you brought in a particular need in your own life that weighs as a heavy burden. Maybe it was news from this week or something you've been carrying for several years. You're just weary of it. We want to pray together for you. And um, sometimes I'm always mindful as pastor as to what's uncomfortable, what's not uncomfortable. So you'll have to forgive me, but sometimes I think we just need to give acknowledgement that we're the person standing in the need of prayer. And scripture refers to people gathered around individuals and laying hands on them to pray. And so I'm going to ask you this morning, if you're an individual who is standing in the need of prayer, if you would consider just standing, and then in a little bit, we're going to ask some people to gather around you and pray. And if that's uncomfortable for you, then that's cool. Just sort of stay where you're at and pray for that need that you've been carrying. But we would be amiss, would we not, as we've been journeying on this, do prayers make a difference theme, to not pray for one another. I mentioned last week that Jesus was quite disturbed by what he saw happening in supposed houses of worship. Because a lot of times there were shenanigans going on and there was the trading of, of sacrificial animals in a very unjust way. And Jesus just said, stop it. My house, I want my house to be a house of prayer. So we're going to take time here in our worship today to pray one for another. I'm just going to ask you if you are a person that's in need of prayer this morning, you carry a burden, whether for yourself or someone else, that you just want to acknowledge and have some people pray around you, if you would just stand. It's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer today. We're standing in the need of prayer for a friend. Anyone else? Just, I'm standing. Acknowledgement of my need for prayer. I want to share with you a pretty heavy um, prayer burden for us that came this week. And um, a need for us to know as a church family so that we can intercede in Jesus' name that circumstances would change, that there would be healing. Many of you know who Mike McDonald is. Mike uh, and his wife, Chris, have been such a blessing to us in our church family over these years. Uh, and um, I think they serve in about every possible capacity they can. Elementary and refreshments and prayer team and greeters. But word came this week that Mike has brain cancer. And... Uh, significant-sized tumor was discovered and some others. He's going to be going 
into surgery on Wednesday. And um, one of those kinds of situations that outside of the miraculous touch of our Lord Jesus Christ, there's going to be an awful lot of challenging days ahead. And so I want us as a church family to pray for Mike. And I'll be including Mike as well as his wife, Chris, and their son from Kosovo is here. and praying for him as well as they journey as a family this week and just asking for God's divine intervention to heal Mike McDonald. Will you join me on that one? Never know what a week holds in our life, do we? But you are carrying a burden today. And the Lord wants to meet that need. And as I prayed with Mike the other day, God, may you be glorified in this situation. May you take this dark, challenging crisis and may you be glorified in it. And so as we pray for one another, we want to pray that the Lord would be glorified in whatever situation. If you're around someone who's standing and you feel so led to lay your hands on them, invite you to stand as well and just place your hands on them as we go to the Lord and pray for these needs of the church family that are around us. You can feel free. It's family time. Get up and move from your chairs if you want. You may all not know the particular need that rests of prayer upon an individual. And um, I'm just asking that you would discern from the Lord what that prayer need is. There's someone who is still here at the front. If I could have a female lady come and pray. Thank you, Debbie. Anyone else that's by themselves around you, just feel free. You may feel awkward doing this, but you know there's something about having that personal touch and that connection to pray. Let's go to the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, we come to you with glad and sincere hearts because of the salvation that you've brought to us and the hope that we have in you in all things. And Lord, we know that that salvation is not just a spiritual redemption, but it's a holistic redemption. Body, mind, and soul, Lord. And so we come to you confident of our prayers because of your finished work of the cross. Your word says that by your stripes that we have been healed. And so through the atonement, Lord, we stand on that finished work of the cross and the power of the resurrection. And we ask in your name that you would be glorified across this body and through the relationships that are represented here and the prayer burdens that are being petitioned before you at this moment. Many of these prayers, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, you have heard time and again because they have been burdened and crying out to you, but they bring them now in a place of community, one with another, that you would hear our prayers. Lord, your word says that we have not because we ask not, and so we're just going to simply ask. And we're going to ask that we would ask in your name and that we not ask amiss in selfish ways, but Lord, we pray that you would take each and every concern that's represented here and that you would take it 
dear to your heart and that through the power, your transforming power, that you would be active and be able to intervene and bring about a healing, to bring about a strengthening, to bring about a way forward, to bring about a, a, a relational uh, dynamic change, whatever it may be. Lord, we pray for those this morning that are in a place of brokenness in their life, maybe looking for a way forward, confused by circumstances, maybe just lost in loneliness. Lord, you know that individual. You died for them. You were raised from the grave that your power may strengthen them. And so for that individual who is here standing in the need of prayer out of their own brokenness, Lord, may you draw near to them and may your spirit's voice be clear and loud, not only today as we're gathered, but Lord, through the week. Whether it's a small whisper or as an audible instruction, reading your word. Lord, may you lead that broken person to a place of refuge in you. Lord Jesus, for maybe some circumstantial things that are challenging on a financial front this morning, that people are not mindful of how you're going to work a way forward, and they're just a mess. We pray, God, that you would remind them that you are Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, and that you will provide, and that you will strengthen them in their time of need with the provisions and the exact timing needed. Lord, for individuals today that are praying for another person that is lost or broken or wayward, maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's a child, maybe uh, it's a broken relationship at work, Lord, may you find your way in being able to work your glory in the midst of healing that relationship and touching that person's life, that they, if they are wayward, Lord, that they would turn, that they would repent of their ways and they would turn back to you. Maybe some who for the first time have never even committed their life to follow you. We pray for the salvation of our family, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, Lord. If that's the burden that's carried today, men, your spirit intercede and work where that person's at this very moment. We ask through the power of Christ that the enemy would not have his way and that truth, conviction, encouragement would be brought to that person that they may come to you. And we lift their name to you right now. And Lord, here in our midst, there may be physical needs as well. Needs that... Uh, only by a divine touch. And so we pray, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, that you would intervene. We stand on the finished work of the atonement, acknowledging that by your stripes we are healed and you've provided provision for physical healing. And as Christ our healer, we ask that you would bring healing to the individuals, to the situations, whether close at hand or maybe far away. And Jesus, we together as a church family this morning pray for our brother, and our friend, and our co-worker in the kingdom, Mike McDonald. Lord, is he preparing not only physically, but mentally and emotionally for the surgery that stands before him on Wednesday and then to be able to await the pathologist's diagnosis and the coming days and weeks after that, we pray, God, that you would intervene by your divine right hand and you would touch and you would heal his brain 
take away the tumors. Lord, cause any growth that's there to shrink, even in light of the coming surgery on Wednesday. Lord, we place Mike in your hands and we pray fervently. Not in our power, but in your power and in your authority that you would make this sick person well. And so we together corporately, as I know other churches and and church communities that know Mike and Chris as a family through the years, that we would offer this prayer of faith to make the sick person well as you record in James. Lord, we love you. We thank you that we can join together to pray one for another, to pray for needs. And Lord, may it not be only in this time that we pause in a worship service, but may it be throughout the week in groups and one-on-ones and interactions, even Lord, as, as we're out fellowshipping in the commons area afterwards, if there's a prayer need, may we just take the initiative, Lord, to pray one for another. May we be known as a body that believes in your power and authority and takes things to you. Lord, help us be a house of prayer. All this we ask for your glory and in your precious name, Lord Jesus, amen and amen. Well, thank you, everybody else. Why don't you stand and take a few moments to greet one another. As elementary kids, you're on your way to Venue B. Middle schoolers, uh, we'll dismiss you at this time, too, and you're welcome to go to Suite F for your gathering. Well, good morning, Awakening Church. My name is uh, Zach, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And it is just great to see us as a church community to be able to pray over each other. At the Awakening Church, we believe that we are people awakening people to become fully alive in Christ and to his mission. And that is exactly what happened here today. And so if you guys are checking us out for the first time, or you guys have been here for a while, this is where we've been building our church community to go to, is to go into depth with Christ and to relationship with Christ. And so on the tales of everything, oh, got ahead of me. On the tales of everything that we kind of have going on, I just want to also encourage you guys, I know each and every person in this room has some sort of prayer request, and so maybe you didn't fully feel comfortable with standing up, whatever it may be, but those connect cards that you guys have in front of you, I want to encourage you guys to fill those out. We have a team of people every single week who are praying over the needs in our congregation, as well as the uh, praises that have happened and thanking God for those. So just take a quick minute to be able to fill those out and any prayer requests that you guys have. Coming up, we have our Young Families um, August gathering, and this is going to be on August 9th from 6.30 to 7.30 at Chris and Jess Bowman's farm. 
sitting over there. I never confirmed this with you guys, so I apologize if it's not, but it's going to happen now. So if you are a part of that young family group, you have some young kiddos, you know, starting to grow your family, please come and check that out. Chris and Jess Bowman, as well as Randy and Crystal Gallardo, do a great job of leading that group together to be able to grow closer to Christ, as well as for all of their kids, which there's like 20 of them, to just have friends to be able to do that. And so the Bowman's Farm, it's going to be a bonfire, I believe. Um, So come out for that. That's going to be on August 9th from 6.30 to 7.30. We also have our women's ministry fall planning meeting coming up. If you guys have any interest in being involved in women's ministry, want to say, hey, we'd love to be able to see this going on. We heard that the men got to do two retreats in the last six months. And so if that's something that you guys have interest in, then come to this planning meeting. It's on August 14th. Um, Mark on the back of that connect card for that, and we'll get somebody in touch with you. But we're looking forward to that. It's going to be after service on Sunday, August 14th. Our Awakening Student Ministry meets every Wednesday um, from 6.30 to 8.30. It's an extended time for the summer because Chuck wanted to have some extra fun time for games. So if you guys have a 6th through 12th grader, have them come out for that. It's a ton of fun. I've loved being able to see Chuck kind of run with that, and he's been doing a great job with connecting with all of our students as well. We also, if you guys have been around a while, have kind of noticed there's been some changes small um, in this main venue. We've had the tech booth that went up in the back. We have some very large changes that are going to happen in the main venue where we're going to be doing renovations to the stage, to the screen, to kind of everything. And so if you guys are you know, a worker bee, if you guys have any interest in serving, whether you are good at construction or you can just clean up, then we would love to be able to have your guys' help with that. We have a massive push that we're doing over the next month to try to kick it off at the uh, beginning of September. And so if you guys could help us to be able to get that done, we would truly be able to appreciate that. Um, Just write work days on the back of that Connect card. It'll most likely be me getting in touch with you, either telling you, hey, we need help with this specific thing, or hey, could you show up on this day and help with whatever. But we'd really appreciate that as um, we continue to improve our space with everything that we do. And then lastly, I'd just like to take this time for our tithes and offerings. Easiest way to do this is to text the word AWAKENING to 77977. It'll send you to an easy, secure link to set up a one-time or recurring giving. We also have our offering baskets in the back, and they'll be passed at the end of service. Thanks. Jesus, sometimes I can almost sense the heaviness of pressure mounting and the ominous presence of darkness around me. I recognize my enemy as at work again. Whether he's trying to discourage me to get sidetracked, to fall into temptation, to give up, or to take my eyes off you, he's always hanging around. I need your supernatural power, Lord, to stand strong and not surrender. Physical force won't help because you've said the weapons of our warfare are different from those in this world. As believers, ours are powerful and can demolish strongholds and lies. These supernatural weapons originate from you. By your precious name and blood, Jesus, I'm asking you to confuse Satan and cancel his attempts to shut me and my influence down. Help me not to become discouraged or to give in when heavy times of testing come. When I'm tired and weak, you are strong, Lord, and you are my only source of health. I cannot fight without you. 
Teach me how to pray and to trust you to pull down those strongholds that keep me or others helpless. Guard me from isolation that leaves me exposed and vulnerable. I believe you destroyed the power of my enemy by your death and resurrection. But like a bad penny, my enemy keeps showing up, whispering lies, twisting truth, and attempting to inflate my selfish pride. He never gives up. I am declaring the devil and his demons liars today, Lord. With the power of your precious name and blood, I agree with your word and the truth that you are in me and that you are greater than my enemy who wants to rule the world. You, your word, and prayer, Lord, are my secret weapons. I belong to you, and that fills me with this powerful God confidence. I want to constantly dress in the spiritual armor you give me. Help me use it to defend others from Satan's fiery darts as well. No one and nothing can snatch me away from your hand. Strengthen my faith, Lord. Forgive my sins so that I may be clean in your righteousness. Make me brave so I can stand and fight the spiritual battles in my life and in our world. Give me your wisdom and discernment so I won't be caught off guard. Together, Lord, we'll win. Because in truth, you already have. In Jesus' powerful name, before which every knee shall bow. Amen. I've watched that video probably ten times now. That's why you watched it a second time if you were here last week. Because we need to understand that we're in a battle with the adversary who wants to take us and our loved ones down. And when we pray, we need to pray with the acknowledgement that we are praying from the victory that Christ has given us in the cross and not try to fight our way towards a victory. We looked at that last week, and we're going to look at it again this week, because I believe as we try to answer this question, do my prayers really make a difference? Well, be honest, sometimes yes, and sometimes no. When we prayed a little while ago for the needs in this body, and we prayed for physical healing, we prayed to Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, because in James, it says that we are to gather spiritual people together and the prayer offered in faith when you anoint somebody, and though we weren't anointing physically with oil, the prayer offered in faith can make the sick person well. And so when we pray, our prayers do make a difference because God loves us and he hears from us, but the prayer that we pray needs to be one in full faith as much as possible. Now, answers to our prayers are not dependent on our faith. Like, I just got to have more faith, and it depends on me. No, but it's the acknowledgement of what we are resting on that we are trusting in for that prayer to be answered. And so when we pray that a good friend of ours would be healed from brain cancer, no one in this room, even if you're a brain surgeon, is going to be able to solve that. But the one who created our beings, we can call on him who has the power and is able 
to make things happen and ask Him and trust in Him. But a lot of times when we answer this question, do my prayers make a difference? Our prayers are sort of self-centered rather than God-centered and God-glorifying. So when we pray in Jesus' name, we are praying that God would be glorified in this situation. And believe it or not, there's some very sincere, genuine, what you would perceive as God-centered kind of prayers that can be selfish. I pray for my my, uh, friend to come to know Jesus so I have somebody to go to church with me and grow with me. That, that's all fine and good, but ultimately you want your friend to come to know Jesus so that God could be glorified in another person's life. And so as we wrestle our way through with how to pray and to answer this question, my prayers make a difference, we need to step back and understand what are we resting and trusting on and where is our faith at involved in this and for whose purpose and whose glory are we desiring the prayer to be answered. And so as we walk through um, some of these weeks, and I really have just felt burdened for this, and it was beautiful not only today to be able to stand and to pray, but uh, last week at the end of service, sort of unexpected to me, that people came and prayed along the front here. Uh, it, my desire is that we truly would become a greater house of prayer for the needs of God, because there's situations in our world, in our communities, in our personal lives, and those that we know and love, who outside of God's transforming touch, there, there's, there's no hope. And it's not like, oh, well, I, I guess I can pray about it. It's like the last thing we do. No, I get to pray about it. I can take this to the Lord Jesus. Two weeks ago, we talked about how uh, Jesus was at a wedding of Canaan of Galilee, and they ran out of wine, right? And Mary was sort of head of the host of that wedding, and it's like, well, what do I do? And it's like, I'm going to go to Jesus. I'm not going to go to Costco to get the cake we talked about. I'm going to go to Jesus, and Jesus, we got a problem here at this wedding. Something that would seem trivial, right? It's like, well, good luck. You ran out of wine. Somebody had planned, right? No, you go to Jesus. And so we talked in uh, this journey how important it is to know who we're going to in this prayer, but that when we go to Jesus and to pray, that we need to pray with an authority as a believer in Christ. And so last week we looked at the authority of the believer uh, more directly, and we're going to camp there today as well. We said last week out of Matthew 16, 19, this verse, Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And we talked about keys and all of us have keys and keys represent access. Keys represent ownership. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, which means I give you authority. I give you the rightful uh, place of ownership, if you will, to walk in and to ask. And so when we are given the keys to the kingdom of heaven, it is not some, oh, I guess all you can do is pray. No. Really? I, I, I have the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever I, I, I bind and loose in, in Jesus' name for his glory and resting and trusting on faith in him that I could believe that it could come to happen? Yes. For his glory. Have you been using your keys this week? Have you been taking a little bit of extra initiative calling upon the Lord? 
I uh, had some situations this week where I'm saying, all right, Lord, I'm, I've been preaching about this. I guess right here, front and center, I need to practice taking the authority that we have as a believer and initiating my prayers based upon the finished work of the cross and go forward from there. We said last week that we need to distinguish between authority and power. And the difference between authority and power is this idea that uh, if you uh, were to um, step into a busy intersection to try to stop traffic, uh, there's a good chance you're just going to get run over because you're not a superhero. But if you step into the middle of traffic in a police uniform with a badge and your car is sitting next and the lights are going off, you're going to be able to get the traffic to stop. Not because you have the power to stop that traffic, but you've been given what? The authority by the city, the county, to stop the traffic. And so as a believer, we are given the authority in Jesus' name to take his power and see it go forward, to see activity happen. And we said that authority is delegated power. And so the authority of the believer, if you are praying and you are a believer and a follower of Jesus, is that you have the power of Christ that stands behind you, but it's through the authority that's been given you that you can initiate uh, concerted prayer efforts, intercession, speak to the adversary, because you are not a superhero, but Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's given us the key. He's given us the authority. But a lot of times we don't take that authority on. And we uh, said this, behind the authority possessed by us as believers in Christ, there is a power infinitely greater than that which backs our enemies and which they are compelled to recognize. And so this is my hope that you would uh, uh, be able to take these conversations in one sense that we're having here on a Sunday morning, and you would be able to implement them in your life for a more effective prayer life so that your prayers do make a greater difference and that you would not be a weak need, weak-hearted prayer, but you would be a prayer that prays and intercedes and fights spiritual warfare from a position of strength and not wishful hope. You cannot manipulate God. A lot of people maybe think you do. God's sort of a celestial vending machine. I'm just going to pray, pop one, thank you very much. The next thing, thank you, thank you, and it's all about me. No, but you as a prayer worker in his kingdom, having the keys to the kingdom are participating in what God's doing in this world and what God has for all time desired to see come about and will come about as he rules and he reigns. And so my simple desire of why we're parked here, again, for a second week on this authority of the believer, comes sort of out of Ephesians 1, and you can sort of parse some of the verses together, and it all flows appropriately so, that I pray that the eyes of your heart... This is Paul saying this to Christians and would say him to you and I say to us today as a church family. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know. They may know different things, but one is that you may know the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who are believers in him. That power is the strength of his might 
which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. I find it interesting, not only on a national scene, but also on a global scene, how much attention is giving to the rulers of nations and our hope that maybe the ruler will be a good ruler or change their ways. You know, whether it's Russia or China or North Korea or a country in Europe or here in the United States, we're always longing for the ruler, the leader, the president, the prime minister, the dictator, that we just trust that they would do something. Well, do you understand that the kingdom of God, and when we're dealing with the kingdom of God, we are superseding far beyond any earthly authority. However long that they're in reign or in a particular political position, we are dealing with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is the one who has all authority and power and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, he, he will be known, if he is not already known in your life, as the great master, Lord, and Savior. That is the one that we follow. And so, as discouraged as we might be about who's in, who's out, what's happening on a global scene, we need to stay with our confidence in knowing that when we live our lives, we are living them with the master and the creator of the universe. I had uh, some time away with family this last week, and I was able to read a book uh, by Howard uh, um, or Hugh, Hugh Ross on the reason that creation has to be, the universe has to be the way that it is. And you know, I don't know why I was into astrophysics this week, but something was messing with my brain to try to comprehend how vast and large and expanding our universe is, 13.7 billion years old, as some predict, and I'm thinking, wow, maybe it's this whole uh, web uh, space telescope thing and those images that have just struck me, and realizing that that God is the God I'm praying to, and that God is above all all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named in this age and the age to come. And I know him. And if you don't know him this morning, that's some pretty good news. The God that created the universe and created your life, you can know him on a personal basis. Stop running away from him and turn. Run towards him. Let him lead your life and you too can discover who he is. But when we have this relationship with the God of the universe who is above all dominion and powers and authorities, we need to take his power and his authority and make it active in our everyday situation. I've been asking myself this week, why is it that we do not take the authority of the believer more than we do? Uh, I actually had somebody text me this week and it was, it was a good question because they said, you know, I, I appreciate, I hear what you're saying about taking our authority as a believer and storming the gates of hell, right? Uh, but, you know, I feel uncomfortable speaking to Satan and his workers. I would rather um, pray to God about him uh, being active. And that's exactly the prayer that you just saw up here again on the screen. That's exactly what we should be doing, yes. However, there's a difference between prayer and spiritual warfare in the sense 
that prayer is speaking to God, but spiritual warfare is speaking directly to Satan and his workers. And I'm thinking, why don't we do that more? Well, it, we're just uncomfortable doing it. But then I'm reminded of the story of Peter and Jesus. When Remember, Jesus was you know, sort of saying, who do you say that I am, and those kinds of things. And Peter said, hey, I got the answer right, you're the Messiah. And, and Jesus started to unpack that he was going to end up having to die and, and those type of things. And that was just like, that, it was not connecting with Peter and the other disciples. What do you mean? You're the Messiah of Israel, and, and you're not going to take over the Romans and set up a new earthly physical kingdom? And Jesus is like, you don't understand. You don't, you don't see into the spiritual realm everything. And so Peter started rebuking Jesus. You remember this? He starts, think about that, rebuking Jesus. That was Peter, always sort of saying something he probably should. And he's rebuking Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus turns around and he says, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your things on the things that your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man on earth. Wow, that's pretty harsh, Peter. Being pretty harsh to Peter, Jesus. You just called him Satan, no? He didn't. He's having a conversation with Peter. He sees that Peter is being influenced. His mind, his thought patterns are being influenced by the spiritual realm, the adversary. And so what Jesus does, and he was in continual prayer with the heavenly father, he takes up spiritual warfare in that moment, and he speaks, says, get behind me, Satan, because he knew that Satan was putting those thoughts into Peter's head. As surely as when Jesus started his ministry and Satan showed up and the temptations of Christ, what did Jesus do? He took the word of God and he says, it is written, it is written, it is written three times. And he speaks directly to the adversary and he says, get behind me. That will not be true. And so you and I, when we pray, we should not be inhibited about taking spiritual warfare upon us to fight and directly speak to the adversary. Now, it still may be uncomfortable to you. You're like, I just, I just couldn't do that. But who am I? Oh, there's, there's another problem with why we don't fight spiritual warfare. Who am I? You're nobody. But in Christ, you're a redeemed child of God, a co-heir with him. In Christ, you have an identity that far supersedes all the, you know, um, the accusations and you're a no good person that you've been receiving all week. You've been pressed down by the world and the adversary. And so you, you don't think, well, who am I to? Well, you're nobody. But in Christ, you're taking his power. You're taking the authority you have as a believer, the delegated power, and you're speaking to the adversary you cannot have your way in that person's life or in this circumstance. So there's a difference between prayer and spiritual warfare. And it's really one of the things I want us to come out of these weeks with the most is because I want to encourage us not to be weird Christians and thinking that, uh, you know, there's a, a, a demonic or a satanic uh, attachment to everything that's going on. But there are situations where we need to be mindful in the spiritual realm and we need to take our authority as a believer and take that authority and the delegated power then and attack the enemy. But whether it's uh, awkwardness, that's just too awkward to fight spiritual warfare, or whether it's identity issues, well, who am I to do that? 
I do think that part of our challenge as Christians is that we're just plain ignorant of ultimate reality. Now, I'm not saying ignorant in the sense of uh, a demeaning word. It's just that we don't have full knowledge of what is ultimate true reality. And so whenever I find myself in ignorant states, and it happens a lot, trust me, I'll just say to somebody, well, educate me. I don't know. Educate me on that. Educate me on that. I was getting educated on astrophysics this week. You know, educate me on that, right? And so I want to learn. And so I want to go to a passage of Scripture that talks about ultimate reality that's in the book of Revelation and unpack it a little bit for us this morning just to incrementally move us closer to an understanding. And we don't have a lot of time today because uh, I wanted to take that time in prayer. But if you would, turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter 12. And in the book of Revelation chapter 12, um, there is a title over it called The Woman and the Dragon. Now, we know that Revelation is a uh, prophecy, a vision that was given to the Apostle John, who was the oldest and last of the apostles when he was abandoned on an island, and God gave him the revelation. It has a lot to do with the end times, but it also has to do with this bigger picture of ultimate reality and removing our ignorance, okay? And it's from this chapter that we get some of the understanding of what's happening in the spiritual realm from uh, the eons of time up into the present, and then as you move through Revelation, how the story continues to unpack itself and move forward. And so we're going to start with this, and I'm just going to walk our way through it and encourage us um, to get educated, because I think our education of ultimate reality can help us in fighting spiritual warfare so that our prayers can make a difference more and more. It says this, in Revelations 12, a great sign appeared in heaven. So he has another one of these vision moments, and God's given context to him as to what ultimate reality is. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Now, Time doesn't afford, but there's different interpretations of what this vision can actually be representing. But if you press your way into it, the woman that is being presented here is actually the nation of Israel, those who were Jewish people. And so the prophecy, the vision, is a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, moon, and her feet. And you can find those references back in the Old Testament because everything that was happening vision-wise in Revelation has some Jewish Hebrew context to it because that was the culture. And so it's, a lot of times it's foreign to us when we come to Revelation, but it would not necessarily be foreign to a Jewish um, religious person. And John came as a Jew a Christ follower, but as a Jew, and he would understand the context of that. And so it's representing that the woman is Israel, and she was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. And what she was about to give birth to was the Messiah, all right, as we'll see here later. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. 
its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. And we're like, all right, sounds like some good science fiction to me here. What's going on? Well, dragon language is actually fairly common in Scripture, but the dragon is referring to Satan or Lucifer. And Lucifer was an archangel, one lead angel that was in heaven. And so it's referencing him and that a tail swept a third of the stars down of the sky and flung them to the earth. We don't know for certain, but with what's being said a little bit later, we can assume that what's being referenced here is that a third of the angels that had sided with Lucifer in the eons, the beginning of time, they were swept out of the heavens and they were flung, guess where? Where we humans live. On earth, all right? The dragon stood, verse 4, in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Friends, you can look through Scripture and you can see this to be true. Lucifer, the fallen angel, who we know as Satan or the devil, he hates God and he hates that he's been cast into this dimension. And he hates anybody who's made in the image of God. And human beings are made in the image of God. And he would definitely hate any Messiah or Savior who would come. And he knew, he understood from the Scripture that it would be from the Jewish people, from the nation of Israel, that there would be a Messiah who would be born. All the way back to Abraham, when God said, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. Not that the Jewish Hebrew people were special in and of themselves, but God chose them through which he would bring a savior and they were to bless the world as they would have been blessed. So Satan knows and understands all this. So if this child is going to be born of this woman, Israel, he is going to seek to devour and kill that child. And you have different places in Scripture where you see him trying to do that, right? Think in terms of, of uh, Moses, right? If Moses was the lineage through which um, Jesus would come, the Messiah would come, they didn't know his name would be Jesus at the time, but the Messiah would come, then he's, uh, Pharaoh did what? I am going to strike down the firstborn, all right? When Jesus was born, what did, what did Herod do? He says, I'm going to kill all the children because there was this idea that we're going to snuff out the life of this one who would be the Messiah and the Savior. So it makes very much sense this. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Now, it's interesting. This battle over the life of a Messiah has been going on all the way back to creation. And that's why you have this verse in Genesis 3.15. After the fall, when the serpent, Satan, brought about the deception by which Adam and Eve fell, the words of instruction there to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will try to strike at his heel. So getting educated, removing our ignorance, 
This is the behind-the-scenes story, not as some, you know, fiction tale or some uh, science kind of science fiction. No, this is ultimate reality. From the beginning of time, Satan was cast out of the heavens, and he has sought to make headway in stopping the Messiah from bringing salvation and transformation. And so that's why back to Revelation in verse 5, she gave birth to a son a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Nowhere you can go with the interpretation of that passage without going to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the son. And Jesus Christ is the one who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. It's a quick way of depicting all that happened to Jesus. His death, his resurrection, his ascension to the heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father and where he will come again. And what happened to the woman? The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 12,260 uh, days or three and a half years. And there's different interpretations that can come and go with that that people have brought. Verse 7 then, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven, referring to that time when they were kicked out of the heavens. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent now we know for sure who the dragon is, right? That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, John hears this in his vision. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah, the Son. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, Satan the dragon, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. You know, that's one of his primary names, Satan is the accuser. He's been accusing you this week that you can't make it, you're not good enough. Why should you even try? Accuser, 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 accuser. You know, you don't, I don't think I have to convince you of that. Just look at your own thought patterns this last week. Even if you're on top of the world, there's accusation. Something's going to happen to you. Something's going to... He's the accuser. He's known as that, this dragon. Accuser of the brothers and sisters, those who are followers of God. Verse 11, but they, us, triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Referring in particular to the Jewish people who became followers of Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. And what they knew they had in him. And they didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And many were martyred for their belief. Many of the other disciples. John was left martyred because of their testimony and belief in God. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is 
short. Hmm. Maybe in your spiritual warfare, that might be a good thing to remind Satan. Your time's short, dude. You're on, that's disrespectful, I'm sure, in one sense, but your time is short, Satan. He's a roaming lion, Scripture says, seeking whom he may devour, but he's on a long leash and his time's coming. And as you move your way through Revelation, you see what the destiny is of the dragon and of the false prophet. His doom is sure. There's no, I wonder if he's going to get out of it all. He's not. He's a defeated foe because of the work of the cross. It goes on in Revelations 12, 13 through 16 to Sarah, a few other things. We'll jump over that. But it says this then in verse 17 at the end. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to war, wage war against the rest of her offspring. Who are they? You are they. You're the offspring through the years. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. So here we have in the book of Revelation, peeling back the curtain, if you will, this is the ultimate reality going on. When we move from prayer to spiritual warfare, we have to enter in behind the curtain, if you will, into an understanding of the spiritual realm. And in the spiritual realm, there's a battle going on. God is at war, but he's the Satan with a decisive victory and all these battles that are going on now in life are sort of like cleanup battles but there's a day coming when he will be thrown into the lake of fire Satan will and God will come and bring his physical kingdom with a new heaven and a new earth this is the battle that's going on but the battle is affecting the offspring the battle is affecting us in our life how did they take the battle back to the dragon. This is the key verse in that passage to me. Let's read this together. Revelation 12, 11. Ready? They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. We have removed preaching a lot related to the blood of Jesus in our culture because we think that it's gory or even could have some tendencies of occultic other kinds of weird, even animistic kind of things going on. Friends, no. The blood of Jesus is referring to the full victory of Christ, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his return that's coming. The blood of Jesus Christ was shed for our forgiveness and we related it last week, not only for the forgiveness of our sins, but also to defeat the power of sin in our life, and it defeated Satan. So when we pray and we plead the blood of Jesus Christ, and I've done this. Have you done this? I'll go into somebody's room that's been challenged with bad dreams, and I will paint, mentally paint that room with the blood of Jesus Christ big roller or whatever, I don't care how you do it, but I plead the blood of Jesus Christ over the room. I pray it over this particular room on a Sunday morning. Why? Because I want Satan to be reminded that he was defeated and I'm going to overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. You have no right to mess with people here. 
rights. So don't be wigged out by talking about the blood of Jesus. Explain the blood of Jesus. When we pray for people's healing, by his stripes we are healed. In the atonement, we base our authority with Christ's power for healing because of the finished work of the cross and the power of the resurrection. Death was not God's idea. Death came by sin. Death is from Satan. He wants to crush it. But Jesus is the one who was born, the Messiah, and he will crush the serpent's head, and he did such at the cross. And he's doing cleanup work now. So when you explain the blood of Jesus Christ, there's richness in it, and we should not step back from it and use more sophisticated, maybe well-cultured kind of terms. No. And when you pray, pray in the authority as a believer but with the blood of Jesus Christ and with the power of your testimony, he hates it. Now you may think, and you'll have to hang with me here on a second. I told you last week I have a deliverance ministry and I've, I've worked with that and all of us can bring power and deliverance and freedom to people's lives. I've been in deliverance sessions before where I've taken the word of God and I have opened it to something like this passage or proclaimed another passage, and we're in this session and we're praying freedom over this person, and I'm reminding, I'm fighting spiritual warfare, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, adversary, or for it's a particular unclean spirit, you know, whatever that spirit is, you have no rights to harm this person, to control this person, and I plead by the authority of the word of God and the finished work of Calvary, the blood of Jesus Christ, and I want you to stand back, if you will, stand down, you have no rights and no authority, and I take the sword of the word and the blood of Jesus Christ, and I punish you. Sometimes I'll take the word of God and I will literally put it on their leg. And I know this sounds weird to some of you, you know, just hang with me here. But they will actually react like, oh, don't. It's literally a sword. Or sometimes I'll say, you will not continue to thwart God's will and you will free this person. And in the name of Jesus Christ, do you want to drink the blood of the cup of the Lord Jesus Christ that brought about your defeat? No. Holy Spirit, you bring this blood of the cup of Jesus Christ up underneath the nostrils of this foul, vile demon. And you open his mouth and you pour the blood of Jesus Christ down this, uh, uh, this unclean spirit's throat. And literally, I'm in the session and they'll go, oh, oh, no, no, no. Now you go, Carrie, you're making up some weird stuff here. Pull back the curtain, the spirituality. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And sometimes in deliverance work, you do have to bring punishment until they finally get to the place like we talked about last week. And when we closed, when we said there was an unclean spirit I was dealing with who would not leave. And I finally said, why you, you know, uh, I will take you before the throne of Jesus Christ. You stare into his blazing eyes and this demon just, just shrunk down and says, I know. I know, I was there. I was on a rock. I saw it all. It's my defeat. I will leave. Oh, not my power. I'm just a broken person saved by God's grace, but he's given me the authority. He's given me the keys. And I'm going to take that finished work of the cross and I'm going to apply it to this person's life. And if there's a, a demonic stronghold that's attached itself, whether externally or internally to the person, then we are going to enforce the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. And that demon will submit and that demon will leave. And so as we walk through a time of testing and sometimes then through the time of deliverance and then through a time of 
God's fresh and filling of this person. There's this power that comes that you're awed and struck with. There's a spiritual realm that exists. And we need to take the fight to the enemy. And we need not be ashamed. We need not gloat. Remember the disciples that returned last week? We talked about, they said, wow, Jesus, even the demons flee. And he says, that's great. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, referring back to the text here in Revelations 12. And, and he said, but don't rejoice about that. Just rejoice that your name's written in the Lamb's book of life, that you're saved. So you walk humbly in this kind of work because it's not your work, but you do not walk sheepishly. And I'm afraid Satan has done a pretty good number on the Christian church because we walk in a sheepish, apologetic, apprehensive manner, and we need to walk with bold confidence because of the finished work of the cross. John McMillan says this in his book, The Authority of the Believer. He was a, a Christian Missionary Alliance missionary back in, in uh, the early part of the 1900s and, and a very vibrant believer. And what he wrote really was the forerunner to what a lot of people write on the whole authority of the believer today or other people even speak from, can go back to some of his thoughts and his reckoning with it. He was a missionary in China, and I could tell you stories. I won't go there today. But he understood what it meant to take the authority of the believer and put it into action. He says this, The blood represents not only the cleansing from the guilt and the power of sin, it is also the witness of that overwhelming victory gained at Calvary, by virtue of which God is now seated on high. Once this is grasped, the believer sees that he has not to fight against the foe, but simply to hold over him an already accomplished triumph, the authority of which he shares to the full. And so I just position this with us as we close. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We must reckon upon our position in Christ from which to fight the enemy. We fight from victory, not towards victory. Because of the finished work of the cross and the resurrection, we boldly take the authority of Christ to instruct the unseen realm. The power follows the authority. And could the anemic Christian church today have its challenge in that point right there? There is no power because we don't take on the authority that's given to us as a believer in Jesus. With that, I'm going to ask the ushers if they'd take their places and to receive Lord's tithes and offerings, but also your connect cards. And if there's a prayer matter that you have on there that needs some deep intercession, then please write that out. Our prayer teams will minister and pray for those prayer needs. But here this morning, as we spent time in worship, we spent time in corporate prayer, we spent time in the Word, I want us to close out by going back to the song that um, we sang at the conclusion of that worship time. And it has to do with authority. And I want to ask you, if you would consider, if you would consider in your life bold steps this week in praying for some people that need the power of Jesus. Last week, some came forward to pray. That's fine. There's a prayer area over here, and you're welcome to come forward to pray. There'll be people to pray with you have a particular need. But I'm going to invite us to stand.
And as we stand, let's engage this song as a declaration and a prayer for us to be those bold, victorious believers this week in praying for the needs at hand. Ushers, please come. Receive the Lord's tithes and offerings. Let's boldly declare this, and if you want to find a place of prayer, then please come and do so.